Tonight's scripture reading is from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn your back will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So good to be here with you guys tonight. Good to fr- see a friend of mine, Al, here. Um, and I love the psalm that Renata just read for us. It's one that has meant a lot to many, many people. I, I grew up in New Jersey, central New Jersey, down near the Jersey Shore. If you're from New Jersey, you would say, I'm from down the shore. That's how they say it. And, um, which means I went to the beach a lot when I was a little kid, and I love, still love doing that. And in the 1970s, when I was a kid, boogie boards were not really a thing yet in the East Coast. So what we would use, these uh, like inflatable rafts, they were made of canvas covered with rubber, you'd, you'd fill them up with a bicycle pump, and we would use those to ride the waves, okay? So one day when I'm a kid, go to the beach, take my raft, and for some reason, I guess the waves weren't really very big that day, I decided instead of riding on the waves, to go out as far as I could past the breakers and see what it would feel like to just relax, you know, just kind of lie. What I did was I somehow got, so I was lying on my back on the raft, closed my eyes, the sun was coming down, the water was, was more or less still, just the rocking motion of, of the water and the sound, and I, all, I, just, I, re, I just relaxed for a it seemed like a long time, almost fell asleep. And then I opened my eyes, and you know what had happened. I had drifted way out 
to see. Now, I'm sure I'm exaggerating. It probably wasn't very far at all, but I was a little kid, so it felt like I was way... I just, just remember seeing the lifeguard in this little tiny chair way back there on the shore. And here's the first, first thing I thought was, how in the world did I get this far away? Second thought was, how will I ever get back? And I'm wondering if you've ever felt that way. And here's what I mean. Wonder, I'm wondering if you can, any of you can look back on a time in your life when you felt so close to God. I mean, it just felt like He was... Does this sound weird? Like you just felt like God walked with you. Everywhere you went, you just felt so much joy and so closeness to Him. And maybe, I don't know, maybe... Have you ever been in a point in your life where you just feel like for some reason you open your eyes and you realize... I am so far away from where I was. And you're saying, how did I get here? And more important, how, how could I ever get back? Well, the, the words that we're looking at tonight from Psalm 51, these, this is a song that voices a prayer. And these words were written by a man who was in exactly a position like that. The, the rabbinical notes that come with Psalm 51 tell us that they were written by King David. If you know anything about King David, this is a man who really, really loved God. In most of the Psalms in the Old Testament, there are these beautiful songs, these prayers, written by this man. He's the only, he's the only person in the whole Scripture who is described as a man after God's own heart. His heart just beat with a passion for the living God. And this psalm was written at a moment in his life which he would probably tell us was the absolute lowest place he ever reached. Um, I won't give you all the details, but basically, somehow he'd really drifted from God, and he found himself committing some sins that I'm sure he thought he would never, ever do. Um, he, long story short, he seduced the wife of one of his most loyal soldiers, and ended up getting her pregnant. Her name was Bathsheba. The husband was Uriah. Then to try to cover up his sin, he, he arranged with the generals to make an you know, accident happen on the battlefield so that this man would be killed. And then he, he took the woman and his wife. And it was just, just shameful, shameful, devastating sin that he fell into. And for at least nine months, maybe a year, he just drifted far from God. Um, until finally a friend of his, a prophet named Nathan, confronted him, and, and it was like he, he opened his eyes. He said, how in the world did I get here? What happened to me? And is there any way I could get back? So this Psalm 51 is his prayer that he prayed to God in that moment when God was restoring him. And um, what I hope will be an encouragement to you, God restored him. He was, he was forgiven, and he was brought back again. But what I want to do is look, look at this, this psalm with you, Psalm 51, this prayer, just to kind of break down what, what would a person need to say to God if they were really far from Him like this? And, it, you know, maybe this applies to you. Maybe you have a friend and, and you need to give them this counsel. Or, or maybe, just be honest, you've never felt close to God, ever. You don't even know what I'm talking about, feeling close to God. And, and this could be the very first step of you praying a prayer like this, of drawing near to Him. So anyway, it, there, this is, by the way, this is such a deep prayer. I'm just going to scratch the surface, all right? You, you could study, study this, in fact. Take a week and just study this. But here's, here's the way I would break it down. If you 
have drifted and you want to be restored, you want to be renewed, you want to be brought back close to God, I would say your prayers to him, in your prayers you need to do these, these three things. You ready? You need to face the truth. Face the truth. You need to cry out for change. And you need to believe. All right? First, face, face the truth. If, um, if you have your phone with a Bible on it, or if you remember what was up on the screen, do you realize that in this prayer, David, as he prays about what, what, needs, what has happened in his life, he is brutally honest about his sin. I mean, if in, in all of Psalm 51, here's, here's some words that you never see in the whole psalm. You never see the word mistake. Never once. God, I made a mistake. Doesn't say that. He never, he never talks about weakness. God, I have this weakness. Never says that. He, you never find the word, the words bad decision. You know, like, I God, I made some bad decisions. He never says it. He just, he's so honest. He faces the truth. He says, this is, this is sin, God. In fact, um, have you ever heard that supposedly Eskimos have, what, like 30 different words for snow because they really understand? I don't even know if that's true. Um, if I meet an Eskimo, I'm going to ask him someday. But um, he uses more than one word for sin. Like he, he realizes that sin is a very complex thing. And so the ancient Hebrews had a number of words to describe it. So, for example, at the end of verse 1, he calls it, transgression. And the, and the word transgression, it, tra- it translates a Hebrew word that means a willful violation of God's law. So, so it meant, I knew that there was a line God told me not to cross, and you know what? I crossed it anyway. It, in, in the beginning of verse 2, he, it's, the word is iniquity, which translates a Hebrew word that means twistedness. It's interesting. Have you ever described your heart as it somehow it's a twistedness? And it's like David was saying, God, I have, I have twisted situations in my life toward my selfish ends, and now guess what? I find myself twisted. I feel like I'm all, I myself am tied up in knots. Another word he uses, end of verse 2, he just, it's translated sin, but it's a word in Hebrew that it means missing the mark or falling short. It's like, it's, it's to say, I have failed to live up to what God has called me to be. So David, he's just being very, very honest. He's saying, God, listen, I have broken your law. I, 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 have, be, I have twisted your will. I, I, have, uh, I have just fallen short of everything you designed my life to be. And this is the way he's just very, very honest about where he is. Um, and in the psalm, more important than all those words, there's one little tiny word that he repeats again and again and again. In English, it's only two letters. In the Hebrew, it's just one letter. And it's a, it's a little, um, what would this be? A, a possessive prom- pronoun, all right? It's the word my. He says, these are my transgressions. This is my iniquity. This is my sin. It's like you're saying, God, it's, it's me. Now, I don't know if you've ever fallen into a pattern of, of, of blaming other people for your problems. Been there, okay? Um, like, it's like, all right, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm, you know what this guy did. And, and, and David, he's, he's, he's just like, no. At this point in my life, I can't afford to play that game. I just can't afford to worry about other people. I've got to talk about me because 
I am the one that needs to be restored. So he's just very, very honest. He says, God, I'm, I'm the one. I have sinned. Uh, it's me. In, um, in, the early, in the early 20th century, the, the London Times uh, newspaper in London, they ran a series of essays uh, in which they asked great thinkers of their day to, to, write, to write a response to one question. And then they gave each of these, these intellectuals an entire page of the newspaper to write their answer. And the question was, what is wrong with the world? So they had different scientists and they had, they had different philosophers and different political leaders and they each wrote their long essay of explaining what is wrong with the world. And they asked one, uh, one author, a, a Roman Catholic man, very committed Christian, named G.K. Chesterton, if he would write his essay. And, and, and when he turned it in, it was, it was just a whole blank sheet of paper. And it said, it had a few words on it. It said, what is wrong with the world? And then his essay was... I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. The guy got it, didn't he? The biggest, listen, the biggest problem in my life right now is me. The biggest problem in your life right now is you. It's so easy to get caught up in, in what other people have done or what they've failed to do. And David says, listen, no, I'm the one that drifted from God. It's my sin. So he says, verse 3, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And then he says, against, this is interesting, against you, Lord, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And, and uh, you know, it, isn't it weird that David would say, God, my sin has only been against you. Now, if I were Uriah, the guy whose wife was stolen and then was murdered, I would want to object to that. I'd say, like, what about me? But, you know, what does he mean? Now, listen, David knew. He's not dumb. He knew that he had sinned against other people. He knew that his sins had hurt other people. So why does he say, God, my sin, it's only really been against you. I think he said that because he understood um, something about the nature of our sin, and that's this. Um, at, the, at the root of all of our sins, no matter what they are, we might think of them big sins, small sins, normal sins, weird sins. It doesn't really matter. At the root of all of them is the sin of idolatry. In other words, what leads us to sin is that in some part of our heart we've begun to make something else more important to us than God. So, so why did David um, want the wife of another man in his arms? Was, was pleasure becoming more important to him than God? What, why would he kill one of his best friends to cover up his, his sin? Was, was, was his reputation, what people thought about him, becoming more important to him than God? Whatever it was, he says, listen... Lord, I know that at the heart my, my sin has been against, it's been against you. So, he's just very honest here, isn't he? He just calls it what it is. I, you know, I wonder, I, wonder if you, I wonder if you've ever confessed your sins that way. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Just to be, just get down and dirty with your sin, call them what it is, claim them for yourself. Here's the only thing that gives me the courage to do that is to know that I will never describe a sin in my life that God is not going to be willing to forgive. And I'll talk later about how we can be sure of that, all right? But the first step, if you've drifted, the first thing is just um, 
you need to face the truth. Be very honest. Second thing you need to do is cry out for change. And sometimes, I, I've, I know I've done this, and I wonder maybe you have. Sometimes a lot, what we'll do is we'll confess our sin, um, but we really have no intention of changing. You ever do that? Like, God, oh, forgive me. You know, put me down for forgiveness again. I'll see you next week. Uh, you know, I'm probably going to do it again. And, and you know, well, the Bible would call that confession, but not really repentance. And, and, that, and that kind of interaction with God, it never, it never leads to real healing. There has to be something in our heart that says, God, I'm, I'm sick and tired of this. I just... I. I need to change. In fact, in, in the New Testament, the, the Greek word that's used for repentance really just means change. It means this, this absolute, complete, transformative change in, in your mind and the way you think about your sins, saying, I need to leave this behind. And so if you, if you remember the words that we, re- we read before, or if you go study this psalm, you see David, he's really, really crying out for, for change and more than just change in his outward behavior. He doesn't say, God, I sinned sexually. Please help me never to do that again. Help me never to touch a woman I'm not supposed to touch. Or God, I, I got carried away with my violence. Please help me never to do that again. Help me never to hurt anybody like this. He's not even, he's, he's not even talking about his behavior. Isn't that weird? In this, in this famous song, prayer of repentance for adultery and murder, he never once mentions adultery or murder because the change he's asking for is not merely a change. It will include that, but not merely a change in his outward behavior. He is asking for God to change him deep down inside his heart, not just a, not just a, a change in the external conduct, but a change in who he is. He realizes this is what God really wants. He says, verse 6, Behold, Lord, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He's saying, God, listen, I know you. You, you, You're not really concerned with the way I look on the outside or what people think about me that's not important to you. You don't want me to just go through the motions of being a good person. What concerns you, God, is what's deep down inside me. So he says... um, Starting at verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. He's saying, God, listen, I need to be new on the inside. I need need my heart to be changed. Um, If you go into... What, Dwayne Reed or Walgreens or whatever your, your favorite pharmacy, um, and you walk down the aisles, you will see um, all, lots of different um, do-it-yourself merchandise. I guess that's what you would call it. Lots of things that you can buy, and you can go home, and, and you can use them to somehow improve yourself or, or help yourself. So there's, there's like do-it-yourself um, hair coloring kit, right? There's do-it-yourself earwax removal, right? There's do-it-yourself home pregnancy test. You just, you take it home, you open the box, you read the instructions, it will tell you what to do, and you can do it for yourself. Go to Dwayne Reed, you will never find on any of the aisles a do-it-yourself heart transplant surgery kit, right? They don't make those. 
Because when you need a new heart, this is not something you can do for you. Someone else has to do it for you. And so you notice here when David is crying out, he's, he, when I say cry out for change, he is not saying, God, I'm going to change myself. I'm going to make me new. He's saying, God, I am absolutely helpless. I need you to do this for me. God, I'm crying out for you to change me. And when he says in verse, here's what's interesting, in verse 10, when he says, create in me a new heart, the word for create there, in Hebrew, it's the very same word that's used in Genesis 1, verse 1. And you've probably heard that verse before. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's using the same verb. He's saying, God, that's, I need you, just you who with your word of power called into existence out of nothing, the entire universe. I I need you with your word of power to call into existence in my life something that is absolutely lacking. I can't do this for myself. In a million years, I could never change my heart. But I need to be new. God, please do this for me. So have you ever prayed that way to God? Here's, here's what intrigues me and it just kind of thrills me. If, if, if you've kind of drifted, God would love, God would love to hear you pray that tonight. Nothing would thrill him more than you just to be very honest. Like, God, I, it's me. I've messed up. Will you please make me new? Nothing would thrill the, the, the ears of God more than that from us. Isn't that great? here. So, you drifted from God. How do you get back? Um, Face the truth. Cry out for change. And the third, this is essential. This is the most important. Believe. You've got to believe. I I have a friend. um, She's a mother of, I guess, four kids. And years ago, when her her children were small, um, the oldest son did something mean to his little sister, which, you know, big brothers do. He did something mean to his little sister. She cried. He got in trouble. And he was a very sensitive little boy, and so he was really sorry about this. And he apologized to his mom. He apologized to his sister. He apologized to the whole family. And, and, and then he went upstairs to his room, and he cried for a while, and he came back down, and he apologized again. I'm so sorry I did this. And, and, then, and then after a while, he came back. I'm really sorry, Mommy, I did this. And finally, she, his name was Jude. She said to him, Jude, you apologized already. You just need to believe that you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And, and, and listen, it might be this is the one thing you needed to hear tonight. You need to believe that you're forgiven. In, in, in the book of Mark, chapter 1, we read that Jesus, when he began his ministry, basically he, had, he, was, a, he was a one-note Johnny. He had one sermon he preached all the time. Over and over, it said, Jesus went through all the towns and villages of, of Galilee preaching, saying this, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he had two, a two-point sermon. Repent and believe the gospel. It's not enough just to repent. You need to believe. I asked for forgiveness. God gave it to me. I'm forgiven. So if, if, you, if you go home and study Psalm 51, and if you're one of these uh, grammar Geeks, like you really like grammar, okay? I, I, I do, I admit it. And look at the tenses, look at the tenses of the verbs. It's, it's kind of interesting. 
the whole first half of the psalm, all of the verbs are either in the past tense or in the present tense. So uh, the first half of the psalm, uh, David is either talking about um, the, 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 the sinful actions of his past or the sinful condition of his present. And then somewhere in the middle of this prayer, the tenses of the verbs begin to change. And more and more, he begins to speak in the future tense. So he, he says, verse 7, purge me with hyssop. And everybody says, what in the world is hyssop? Um, apparently, uh, in, in, in the ancient times, there was um, one of the rituals when somebody had leprosy and then it was, cl- they were, it was cured, they would go to the priest and he would take this very, uh, I guess, leafy plant called hyssop and he would dip it in the blood of the sacrifice and then sp- you know, shake the blood on the person. And it was a way of just saying to, to this person and to the entire world, this, this man, this woman is absolutely clean now. And so David's using that metaphor. He's saying, God, I, I need you to just to pronounce your word of cleansing over me, right? He says, purge me with hyssop. And he says this, and I shall be clean. Future tense. This is going to happen. He says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He says, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will return to you. Can you imagine this guy that committed adultery and murder me so far from God? He's saying, God, here's what I believe. You're going to do more than just forgive me. You're going to start to use my life to help other people. I'm going to start teaching them, and other people will come back to you. He, he, says, he says in verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue, here's the future tense again, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. If, if you know the story of David, he was, he was a warrior and he was a musician, and, and, he, and the thing he loved was music. He, lo- he wrote all these songs. He, he would lead the people in worship to the point where he would dance before the... There's one place he kind of embarrassed himself. He got so carried away just dancing with joy and singing before the Lord, and now he's at this point in his life where there are no songs anymore. But he begins to pray for restoration. He says, you know what? I believe, I believe God has forgiven me and I'm going to be singing his praise again. I, I will sing aloud. He says, verse, verse 15, my mouth will declare your praise. Verse, verse 19, then you will delight in right sacrifices. Bulls will be offered on, on your altar. He just begins to believe, not only is God going to change me, uh, all of Jerusalem, all of my city is going to see revival from the, God, from, from the Lord. So he's using this future tense and with this, this, um, this tone of absolute confidence. God is going to do all these things for me. I'm going to be back where I was before and even better. I, you see, he's believing God will do this. So let me ask you, what do you think? If, if you were to be very, very honest about where you are with God, and forgive me if this doesn't apply with you. I mean, some of you, you might be, everything's fine. But it, just assuming that some of us here, maybe we're, we're kind of far from him. If you were to be very honest with God about where you are, just face the truth, and then just cry out for change. I need to be new. Do you believe he would forgive and restore you? Would he? 
Let me answer the question for you. Yes. <laughs> yes. I am absolutely sure that he would. And you might be saying, well, how, how in the world can you be so sure? Well, I'll close with this question. How was, how was David so sure God would do this? I mean, he had committed some pretty bad sins, right? How was he sure? Well, if, if, you, if you look at um, verse 1, you see why he was so sure God would forgive him. And what was David basing his confidence on? that God will forgive him. He says in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to... Now, if you look it up, he doesn't say, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to the sincerity of my repentance. Can you see how sincere I am? Right? He doesn't say that. Or he doesn't say, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to how hard I'm going to try to change. I'm really going to try hard. So, God, for, according to that, will you have mercy on me? He doesn't say that. Nor does he say, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to all the good things I did in the past. Remember how I killed Goliath? Remember that, God? You know, you owe me one. Forgive me. He doesn't. Listen, none of our past obedience would, would merit God's forgiveness. So what is, why is he so sure? What's he basing his confidence on? Here's what he says. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my sin. So his absolute confidence that God will forgive and restore him is, is based on something he knows to be true about God, about God's unchanging character. He says, listen, one thing I know about God, he, the Lord is a God of steadfast love, love that never ends. The, the, the Lord is a God of abundant mercy, mercy that never runs out. And so because, not because of who I am or how sincere I am or how many tears I've weeped, but because of who God is, David says, I am absolutely certain he will forgive and restore me. Now, one final question. How, how in the world would David, how did David know that about God? That that's the kind of God he was? Well, I suspect it's just that David knew his history, okay? And, and David knew the history of God and his interaction with the people of Israel. And he knew, because they'd seen this again and again and again, God had been merciful to them. They, they were slaves in Egypt, right? And they cried out for mercy. And God said, yes, I will show you mercy. And, and, and they were in the wilderness, and they were complaining. And, 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 you know, complainers are such a pain in the neck, right? And, 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 they, and they drifted from God where they're complaining. And, and then they cried out for mercy, and God said, yes, I will have mercy on you. And then they even built a golden calf there, and they worshiped him. And they turned their backs on God, and then they cried out for mercy. And God said, yes, I will have mercy on you. And David had seen this again and again and again in the history of Israel. Every time God's people turned to him and cried out for mercy, God always responded with love and grace. And so he was certain God would restore him. He believed because of the history he knew. Now, if that's true, guys... Do you realize the advantage we have over David? Why? We know more history than him. Not that we're smarter, but we were born later, all right? So here's something we know about God that David, in his wildest dreams, never, he never knew. We know this. The God of heaven is so committed to reaching and restoring sinners that he sent his son Jesus to die in their place 
so that anyone and everyone who turns to him with repentance and faith will be made new, forgiven, and restored. I mean, if you know, listen, if, if you know, if you know that God loves sinners so much he would do that to rescue them, it, you don't have to be, what, a rocket scientist to just realize he'll forgive me. I can just believe this. And so, when, when you're invited to come to the Lord's table later tonight or after I finish, I would just encourage you, if, if you come to the table, make that a, a, just, a, just kind of a, um, like you are reenacting faith. You're just coming up here saying, I have a God who forgives. I'm going to be very honest with him about where I am. Maybe you just need renewal. Maybe it's nothing big. I'm not assuming anybody here killed someone last week, you know, like David. But, but just in some little way, you just need to be restored. Just be honest with him. Say, God, will you change me? And then just, even when you come to the table, just say, God, this is my way of telling you. I believe. I believe you'll do this for me. So let, let, me, uh, let me close in prayer. Pray with me. God, we, we sang earlier, your love never gives up, never gives up on me. We thank you that you have proven that to be true when you gave us your son. So we trust this, we rejoice in this, we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.